call Steve Witherup. Calling Steve Witherup. Mobile. Hello? He is risen. <laughs> He's risen indeed, I guess. You know, honest to God, I didn't know. I just completely was hoping that you knew what that was. That's what my family always did my whole life. My grandparents would call on Easter Sunday morning, and that's what they would say. And so I figured that it was like a universal thing, but it was it was only a hunch. Oh, it um how was how did you respond to your grandparents he has risen indeed oh i find that hard to believe i thought (laughs) (laughs) what do you what do you what do you think i said well one i would suspect even to your grandparents you would still as a young boy maintain some sort of don't tell me what to do <laughs> mentality. And so I'm not playing this game with you, even though it's, you know, it is what it is. The celebration of the risen Lord. Um, I still then, don't like when people tell me to sing happy birthday in a group setting. Like what if well, I, what if I don't want to? Yeah. I'm, and you know, has every pastor that says like, you know, who here, whatever, raise your hand or, turn to your neighbor and say like have you ever participated absolutely in that? not no question yeah yeah uh hey uh pastor joseph's here like nine people call me that pastor joseph's here he's gonna say a prayer for us to get started am i <laughs> really i am that's yeah. interesting okay yeah <laughs> hey all right guys whoever uh love your who loves your wife out there let's see a show of hands it's, you know it's in, like, the, in the pockets <laughs> sorry kelsey it's matter of principle and she's like no i get it i understand yeah yeah i'd be mad at you if you did uh who i cannot i cannot stand all of that stuff i'm preaching better than y'all are talking somebody out there okay hey pastor chuck you're uh <laughs> you're 57 and white and uh not td jakes we're not doing this we're not playing this game brother <laughs> yeah you're you're the you're the worst congregant uh, oh, I would, yeah, yeah, I would be, uh, I would be brought under church discipline at some point, just as a regular congregate, no question. It's really the only reason you decided to start a church because <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not far off. It really isn't. It's right. ju- it's just to to create an environment where people don't have to do all of the things that I hate so much. Right. <laughs> well, that's. Uh, that leads us right into Easter. Happy yeah. Easter, guys! Yeah, it is very uh, strange to not be together for an Easter. It's Saturday, so it's uh, it's not Easter right now. But the whole thing is very, very bizarre. Yeah. Did you get Easter baskets growing up? I did. Oh, okay. Um, it was always like you know, the twelve ninety nine bundle from Kmart or something, you know, like it was, and maybe some Easter clothes or something. No, I never did. It was never, and I don't think it was some sort of, it was definitely not some sort of, you know, stance against the commercial, uh, commercialization of it, but it was just never part of the way we celebrated it. 
So I always thought it was strange. I never realized how universal it was to receive, you know, gifts and stuff at Easter. If we weren't under quarantine right now, I would go to whatever nearest big box kind of Walmart, whatever. And I would buy you the most expensive Easter basket possible and and bring it to your house tomorrow morning. Amazon's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm picking up what you're laying down. I th- I feel like your favorite thing would be a a plastic basket wrapped in plastic with uh, <laughs> completely non reusable uh, fillers at the bottom, and then like Hershey candy. <laughs> that would be wonderful. <laughs> and if if Paige is listening to this, someone please resuscitate her. I think she just <laughs> had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're uh yeah ben and Paige right now are are, are cussing and uh and, and throwing things so right <laughs> all right well let's get into this let's do it john chapter 20 1 through 18 early on sunday morning while it was still dark mary magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Peter and the other disciple started out from the tomb. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they've put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And she gave them his message. I know I say this a lot, but that that is just, it's one of my favorite chapters in the whole story. It's just so much imagery, so much going on. John does just such an amazing job at capturing so much of the layered meaning that's that's going on 
here. Um, it's a beautiful text. It really, yeah, it just really is. There's no wasted detail in it. Like it's, I don't know, it's beautiful. The first thing that just really jumped out to me this week um, is, is just the first line. Well, it says early on Sunday morning and while it was still dark. That's, that just sets the stage and sets the tone or the environment. And I got to thinking, so, you know, obviously we just came out of, well, there's Advent, of course, and then, uh, you know, uh, and then we just came out of Lent and so, and then leading into to Easter. And so much of the message of Advent is about subtlety and waiting and those those types of themes. And so, you know, we talk about how how insane it is that God's entrance into the world, that this Christ presence enter entrance into the world was done in such a, a subtle way with no fanfare. It was just through this birth of, of a, of a vulnerable baby and uh, in a, in a manger. And, you know, the, of course, all the details that surround that and, and we're okay with that. Like we're, it's like, it's just part of it. It's part of the, it's almost like it's part of the humble beginnings that is leading towards Easter. It almost, so it makes for a better story. You know, it's not like Jesus arrived uh, in this grand parade and then making Easter almost less of, of an alternative to the arrival. And so we're okay with that subtle arrival, but then we expect resurrection. Then we expect Easter to be very, different like we expect fireworks like we expect exploding out of the tomb with this this grand entrance back into the world with an enormous i told you so and or i gotcha or you know all of those types of things and yet here we are this climactic moment begins early in the morning while it was still dark mm -hmm. it's 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 not in front of the Roman government. It's this darkness to me is so such an important detail. I heard someone made a really good point about John the other day. Uh, they, they said that, well, most biblical writers, but especially John, it's like John is not the college sophomore who's just trying to reach a word count. So no every – Everything he says has value and purpose. And so the fact that it's still dark for the resurrection, the first day of the new week, this is Sunday morning. This is the eighth day in a sense, the, the first day of the, of the new week while it was still dark. It just sets the, again, just like Advent tone was set through humble beginnings. It's like, what are we dealing with here? How do we talk about resurrection if we can't talk about it in terms of fireworks and, and um, you know, blasting out of a cave, riding on a rocket? Yeah. Instead, how do we talk about it when, when it begins in the dark? Yeah. And it's a, there's beauty in the subtlety of it. Like it's not, the way we celebrate it, like it's worth celebrating. It's worth being excited about. There's a reason that this is like, you know, 
if you go to a more uh, liturgical church, why all the flowers are out. It's such a you know it's a it's it's big music and it's that sort of a thing, and and it deserves to be celebrated. But there seems it seems to be fitting to me that you know this year we're all separated, we're all kind of uh, in the dark, so to speak, and and even our celebration of this thing kind of mirrors the 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 subtlety of the event itself. Yeah, the arrival of spring, in one sense, it's obvious, but it's not from one day to the next. <laughs> right. It's, I found myself just the other day, like I, I pay attention to these things, but, but even in the paying attention, I, I was just taken back of like, when did things become so green? Yep. And, you know, here we have this stage being set in a garden in the dark these conf- this confusion there there was still chaos you know uh, th- this resurrection didn't just automatically establish a sense of clarity um there was still confusion and this image of slow implementation in a sense as the sun maybe was going to begin to to rise and and we'll get to it more but then a slow recognition of mary of what was beginning to happen that's a different perspective and i agree with you what you said it's not as though we shouldn't celebrate easter as this grand moment like churches should be celebrating this but but it's important not to do so at the expense of recognizing what was happening and allowing for that to define how we continue to think about what it means that resurrection is possible. Yeah. The darkness and dampness of a morning in a garden. If you put yourself in that story, if you put yourself being there, it just, it feels a certain kind of way. And it is like, there's, there's terror in this story. You know, there's fear, there's, there's, confusion it is so even for those that were there it wasn't clear cut like it that there's not just one emotion to feel about this right and like you said even for those that were there like i mean you know let's talk about mary uh i mean she was present for this and how how like of course, if we if we put ourselves back in in the story, we would say, of course, I would recognize re- resurrection when I saw it. You know, as as big of a thing as it is that we talk about, we think surely I would recognize it when I saw it. And so, how could Mary, like, what was going on that that this grand thing wasn't something that that Mary recognized or they didn't even know what they were looking for i mean early in the text it says see if i can find it yeah it says then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and saw and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead then the disciples returned to their homes like (laughs) it's not it's not like oh we know what happened let's go 
let's go make a parade. Like let's, let's start celebrating. It's like, they don't know what happened. So they go home. Yeah. But Mary, Mary sensed that there was something more to the story for sure. Like she deeply, there's a reason she was intuitive. She knew, she knew that she needed to be present in that place. It wasn't over. She, you know, her soul spoke to her that there was more to this than that body just simply lying in the, in the tomb. So, so, okay, you're right. They didn't, they didn't know yet what was supposed to happen, but the fact of the matter is she encountered resurrection in the person of Jesus and she didn't recognize it, Mm -hmm. you know? And I should say, so I should say this first, like whenever you start talking about resurrection in a lot of like current conversations, the idea of, did it literally happen versus is this whole thing just a story and a metaphor? Um, are those, which is it? And, um, and you know, we're not, I don't, we're not going to dive into that or whatever, but the answer is it's both in my, I mean, this, I believe deeply in the bodily resurrection. I think it speaks to what like George McLeod would say when he says that um, in the resurrection, we hear the message of Jesus saying, uh, you know, matter matters is what McLeod said. Like, yeah, he's, he's bringing value to matter because this is where new life begins and occurs. And, you know, but then apart from that, then it's also bigger than this singular moment because all things need resurrection. You know, all things need to move from death to life from small things to, to large grand things. So it's both, right. It's both. For sure. Yeah. But so that being said then, so to talk about in terms of metaphor does not eliminate the, the belief in the actual physical resurrection in this moment, but, but what Mary encountered, she encountered resurrection and she didn't recognize it. I got to thinking how, you know, why is that possible? But it's like, it happens all the time because I think that we get so, so caught up, so deeply caught up in certain expectations, certain patterns of life, certain thoughts, certain, certain ways of seeing the world. And we become, we become unable to see then the alternative. Like we become so deeply ingrained in certain things that we would call givens to life that resurrection calls us out of that and into completely new possibilities. But the more deeply ingrained we are, the harder it is to even recognize when we see something that is liberating. Like, like I expect like in the Exodus story, there had to have been, there were those people that when they were offered the March of freedom, there was some of them were thinking, well, this doesn't make sense. Who's going to make the bricks? And well, the world just doesn't work this way. We were, you know, right. we spend our, this is how, this is how things are. And I suspect that they didn't even recognize an alternative to that way of life. And I, and I think that this is part of what maybe Mary is experiencing or showing 
us in this. Like she encountered this new thing, this this resurrected life, this possibility that that the Christ offers, and she doesn't she's not able to recognize, and that's not an indictment on her. I think we're we're all guilty of that. Like we talk about these these grand other ways of being in the world, but then they're always followed up with like, yeah, but like, you know, who's going to make the bricks, but you know, and these are real things like, well, how am I going to pay my electric bill? And I can't give my money to the hungry. Then what am I going to eat? You know, all these types of things that we quickly talk ourselves out of because it's like our, it's like our imagination can't keep catch up to what we subtly believed to be true like mary lingered she stayed in this garden and she did so i think because her soul told her there was more but yet her imagination of it actually being a reality couldn't catch up to that inkling i was talking to uh to teddy hart in the good friday podcast and we were talking about the ambiguity of the cross and of that that moment and the the thing that became obvious to me is that uh when i was talking to him is is that these stories are just chock full of ambiguity it's not like you said jesus doesn't come out of the tomb and ride a motorcycle into the middle of the city and like you know tell everybody what happened it's it's in the you know it's in the dark of early morning and People are running away terrified and, and Mary doesn't recognize him. And then, you know, we get other accounts in the gospels, like on the road to Emmaus, he walks along with these people and they don't, they don't know who he is, even though they were disciples. And it's only until they break the bread with him that he is able to uh, be viewed for who he is. He becomes like he reveals himself to them and then he disappears and he's walking through walls and he's all of that, doing all these appearances that he made to everybody, but then it even says that all out of all these that he appeared to, that some still walked away. Like so, it, I I don't know. It's not a, it's not a slam dunk. It's not. I, I don't. There is ambiguity in the story, and it's important to just simply recognize the possibility of our inability to, to recognize, recognize it. Yeah, to recognize resurrection. Because part of, you know, part of the image, John is deeply attached to Genesis, you know, and and so part of the image in this garden story is taking us back to the first garden story. And and when I read of Mary's inability to recognize this new way of being in the garden, it makes me think it's like. Life, I don't know if I like this way of saying it, but it's almost like life as it was intended to be has become so distant from us that it has become unrecognizable. Yes. And that's, it's like, and it's almost like showing us, it's revealing to us not how just sinful quote unquote we are in the t- in ways that we often like to think about that but just how detached we are from the relatedness that we witness in the creation story and so it's 
and so the inability to recognize that is it's all it's literally almost like imagine uh imagine a school of fish or something reaching a point in their existence where in the future where if we showed them fish swimming harmoniously and beautifully within a large ocean they wouldn't even be able to recognize it as fish and i love the way that the Celtic tradition talks to us about um, not, not exclusively in these terms, but one of the ways in which they talk about the Christ is that, that it's not just new things, but Jesus as our memory. And so I think what Mary is seeing here in this moment, she, it's part of her memory that she's detached from in a sense. And it takes her a while to even recognize that th- uh, this is Jesus. It took Jesus calling her name um, for her to recognize this. And it's it's not so far gone that we are no longer able to recognize it. But it takes work and it takes staying in that place. And it takes um, it takes searching. It takes fumbling around in the darkness, in the first light of the morning. It takes her a while, but her getting there shows us that it's still a possibility. Yeah, the, that that whole idea, I think I've done a sermon before on all the ways that we're able to spot resurrection and whether it's the breaking of bread or, you know, the, the, the kind of conversation that the d- disciples on the road to Emmaus have where after he breaks the bread and he's revealed to them, he, it says, uh, were not our hearts burning when he talked to us on the road. And uh, the, the ability here of allowing yourself to be known and to hear Jesus call your name and to then be able to see him, like that whole, I think there's a, there's so much in all of that. The, the central thing for me that like I haven't been able to quit thinking about, and I think it's a progression. So there's this really cheap version of like an Easter uh, experience that, that Good Friday is minimized. Easter is this really triumphalistic kind of our God kicked your God's butt. Like our, we our God won kind of a thing. And it's just this really cheap version that kind of, takes away all the subtlety, all the nuance, all the ambiguity out of the story. And so it takes an enormous amount of courage and and faithfulness to be able to look at the reality of what is and to and to not try to save it by uh minimizing it by well Sunday's coming. Like okay, well what whatever happens Friday it doesn't matter Sunday's coming. We don't we don't want to give voice to that. We don't want to look that in the face. We just want to move along to the victory part of this. But I think there's another progression then because once you do that and you're willing to look at the stark reality of what's in front of us and we're allowed to like give voice to the bleakness that we feel about whether it's climate change or whether it is uh, devastation in the world or this, this pandemic that we're in or uh, I I woke up this morning to the news that uh somebody that uh that somebody that's in my world that 
I, I'm not very close to, but that I see very regularly and have been having great conversations with that was in recovery, uh, killed himself yesterday. And mm. so like when you're in that space of I'm, I'm willing, I'm willing to look into the darkness and not turn on fluorescent lights to try to make it better. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to manufacture lightness in the midst of stuff that feels bleak and hopeless and give, and let that have a full sentence with a period at the end of it. I think though that the next progression then I just think it takes an equal amount of courage, if not more, to be willing to recognize resurrection where it is. Because, like, yes, there's darkness. Yes, there's stuff that feels hopeless. Yes, it is. There's unspeakable horror and sorrow and all of that. But yet, in the midst of it, there are these moments of resurrection all around us. And Jesus calls us, to, to be able to have the eyes to see them. That's that's as valuable. I, I mean, look at look at so Mary reaches this point of recognition and what's what's the next move? What's her what's her new vocation? To bear witness to it. You know, she is given she's commissioned with the task then of going to tell the disciples. Yeah. She's, she's, she's the first evangelist. She goes and tells the good news. Right. And, and it's not just, and it's not just cheap missionary work of, of go and telling I've seen him. Like he did it. He, the, the magic trick worked like right. it, it's literally, it, you know, she needs to bear witness to this reality that she now had her eyes open to. She heard the resurrected Jesus call her name, and that's worth telling. In communities and individuals, I mean, the only way to spread its reality is, into, is to embody its reality. Like, mm-hmm. just giving, giving voice to it. Like, how many people, if asked, you know, uh, did did Jesus rise from the dead? How many people would just say yes? But how many then would it just have no effect? Because it just simply saying yes doesn't mean that resurrection is present in the way in which the world is engaged. Yeah, it, like n- not to go down this rabbit trail of metaphor versus literal, because of course I, I'm with you. I think it's both. But the question at the end of both of those things, if you're in one camp or the other, the the like glaring red blinking light that demands to be looked at the question is like so what so if jesus is resurrected from the dead what is, like what does it matter like if it's not about some uh some dogmatic thing like are you willing to sign your name on the line that you believe this okay if you believe it or not it it, it only matters if it matters in your life like it only matters if it matters in the world because of the way that you're acting toward neighbor and toward the the planet and that sort of thing. It would be like the, you know, going back to the, to the Exodus story, it's like, it's the first step is to, so, so the Israelites cried out at first, you know, so they finally reached a point where they gave speech to 
that burning subtle notion that this isn't the way things should be so so for mary i think that that's the same spirit that caused her to to stay and remain in the garden like she knew that something wasn't right but then the second part of that is do we even recognize what liberation might look like i mean do we even recognize it when we see it um you know but then to your point the whole so what it's like the other side of the liberating act for the israelites if they just decided to well let's just make our own bricks like how has life changed like the invitation is to a resurrected life and i know that like what does that mean well it it means everything right like right. everything is new everything is done differently everything is experienced in a in a god worshiping way acts chapter 10 34 through 43 peter began to speak to cornelius and the other gentiles i truly understand that god shows no partiality but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him You know the message he sent to the people of Israel preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That message spread through throughout Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did both in Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear not to all the people but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses and who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this is the sermon that Peter ends up preaching. This is the message that like becomes the thing that spreads, but it it started it started with this like it was a slow progression. Like you were talking about, it's like you you look up at the trees and like good lord, where did the green come from? And it's obviously been like slowly growing each day you just all of a sudden are aware of it and uh like the power that Peter is showing in this sermon is something that started with an experience that he ran away from and was huddled with the other disciples and called what Mary said nonsense initially and then now he boldly speaks a sermon like this does that make sense oh, of course and you know just like what we were talking about so much earlier as far as the this this um progressive understanding of what was actually happening and not being just this light switch moment um we we get to witness peter's progression and it takes him a while to finally then he realizes here it's like oh this isn't just for us you know mm-hmm. like part of his next steps is this realization that all people is invited like no one is excluded from the invitation to experience this liberation and and how could you know that in the moment like they don't know what the scriptures mean when that Jesus had to rise from the dead or whatever it says in the John text. It's like we read into it everything that we know now. But like right. for them it's just like their lord has been killed, the people that the the guy that they've been following around and 
watching all this miraculous stuff from at some point he's gone. Like he's resurrected, but he's no longer there. And there has to be like a long period of now. What, like, what does that mean for us? We read into it, all the things that they went on to do. And, you know, we've read acts and we, we, we know what it meant for the early church and all of that. But like it is a progression. It is a it is a, a a developing thing. And I think it's why it's so important that John mentions that you know that the spirit will be given to lead us to continue to lead us into all truth and toward understanding. Because you're right, they even upon hearing or or whatever, they they locked themselves in a room and then he appeared and then, like you said, some doubted and um, and then this boldness comes and, and well and Jesus breathes new life unto them at the end of John and you know and then in Acts we find them uh, you know a, a, another telling of the re- receiving of of this spirit and Peter preaches a bold message but even now we're still all the way up to chapter 10 before there's this greater understanding of, again, the invitation for all people, all, all things, all creation to experience this liberation made possible as uh, Christ is brought more fully into the world. Yeah. I, I think we are all given this story at the end of the story. So we we're giving, we're given like uh, all of these, like we're given Paul basically like exactly what the, what the death and resurrection of Jesus means. And we're given all these theological kind of, uh, un, uh, all these theological constructs about what it means and atonement theories and all these kinds of things. But like all of that stuff comes on the other side of experiencing the resurrected Jesus. And so none of that stuff means all that much if you haven't encountered him like if you haven't heard him call your name in the garden if you haven't wrestled through the progression of what it means that resurrection is even possible and so i think i think for us it's an invitation to experience resurrection in a fresh way and in an experiential way and not in a uh in a heady construct like a heady theological construct kind of a way does that make sense? Yes. And I know that, you know, and you're not, again, just we hear things with dualistic ears. And so you're not saying any kind of theological work has no value. You know, of oh my gosh. Not. Yeah. My library but, is worthless at that point. Exactly. Uh, yes. But, and, you know, to say it strongly, it's like, don't give me your atonement theory if you've never learn to recognize resurrection who yeah big time and and like you know i had a professor in college uh well we both did steve fetke that would <laughs> he said he, i have students that will say to me i don't want all of this uh theological jargon i don't want uh all these arguments or philosophical things i just want jesus and fetke would always respond with great who's he and like <laughs> So you have to answer those questions with, you know, theories and constructs and theology and all of that. But it, 
it happens on the other side of experience. And if you don't have any experience, then all of the other stuff is just ego. It's it, and, and it's it's valueless. It's there's a there's a reason that Mary was commissioned to go be the one to bear witness to this because it's on the other side of her experience. No one else was there to experience it. And so no one else was commissioned in that moment. And I know that you could say, well, she was the only one there, but I think that what part of the story is communicating is you can't bear witness to it if you haven't experienced it. Yeah. I mean, Mary is the only one that, uh, stays long enough to have the experience. She like is, is willing to, to sit and wait, I guess. Yeah. And I, it's, I guess it's the, you know, it's the prayer that I would pray for all of us at Easter. It's, it's, you know, in dark moments before, things seem to be full of hope or whatever it's like can we begin to have eyes that recognize where new life is blossoming amen well i wanted to include uh, a song and I, I had a couple of different ideas but this week i heard a song from uh, a local songwriter guy's name is andy squires and um i don't know him super well other than just online and he wrote a song called cherry blossoms and uh this is the first steve's hearing of this it's not as cheesy as it sounds Uh, boy that's exactly (laughs) what i was thinking i would not have said that had i known (laughs) it's called uh it's called walk through the meadow no it's uh it's called cherry blossoms but the vineyard worship uh covered the song and uh and it's it's a it's a really good song, but I, I heard a video yesterday from him where he was describing uh, where that song was birthed out of, and um, or what that song was birthed out of, and the the story was that at their church there was a, a prominent couple family uh, a prominent family that had this horrible thing happen, like somebody was like an intruder in their house and the fam, the, the wife and the kids escaped, but the, the husband got shot and killed. And so like everything had just been going so well up until then that like the church, you know, it just mourned this. Like it was just like a, a deep sense of mourning for a long time. And so like, even when they would gather, it would just be like, it would just be crying. Like it wasn't, it, they were just overwhelmed with grief. And, um, he said, I, I don't know how long after he was, uh, he sat down and pulled his guitar out and just had this one phrase kind of come out. And he said the song happened almost immediately. And he said they, they played it at church the first time, I think like the next week or something. And he said from before he even finished the first verse, like something happened in the, like the, the, I love the way he described it. So very similar to what we've just been talking about. Like he said, it's not like, it's not like the words of it unlocked something or whatever, but he said, there's something else that happened that it just broke something free in their congregation. And like, they felt like they were able to move forward, like, and recognize joy and life and stuff again. And so, um, I messaged him before we started recording and he told me to, uh, 
you know, gave me permission to play the song. And so I want to play mm-hmm. the song now. And, you know, my prayer is that, you know, maybe it'll break something open in you or in us and we'll be able to experience or recognize resurrection in the places in our life that we need it. Your love is my 
Colossians 3, 1-4 Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Such a beautiful text, man. Yeah, it's for sure. It's um, just take that phrase, your life is hidden with Christ and God, and just write it on a piece of paper and go sit somewhere outside for six hours and think about that. Whatever, whatever happened, whatever occurred in Jesus that was revealed to Mary in the garden in that day it's that is what we are invited to be hidden in amen and it changes everything everything it changed everything it's still changing everything yeah that's that's probably a better way to say it why don't you pray for us all right lord thank you for who you are thank you for your presence thank you god that There's a day coming when all sad things will become untrue. Thank you, God, that resurrection is possible. Thank you, Lord, that you're in us and with us, that our lives are hidden in you. In you we live and we breathe and we have our very being. God, help us to have eyes to see resurrection in the world. Help us to practice resurrection. Lord, we love you. We're thankful for you. You're so good. Thank you that there are new possibilities that are possible. There's new life that's bursting forth. We lean into that, Lord. We believe. Help us with our unbelief. God, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.